0: can be new life four square church welcomes you we're located at 2350 southeast territorial road just off highway 99 e we hope the following message will be a blessing to you and uh, and and annette knows that because she's had to work that out of me and uh, i even taught one of our nieces how to spit and scratch so uh her uh, her mom didn't didn't really like that, and uh, she still does uh, do what I ask her to do. There, she's in her 20s, but Jackson he, he's uh, he, he's one of those guys. And so we were all in the we were all in the backyard just a few weeks ago. Uh, Annette and Ella. And Jackson, and Jasmine, our ID student who's staying with us, she was back there as well. And uh, and Jackson got this uh, testosterone rush. He heard the word baseball, and he got all excited, and he got kind of rough with his grandma. And I said, hey, 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 you need to be gentle with your grandma. And so he immediately changed. He does that, and he started to kiss her, and then he hugged and kissed Ella. And then he got off grandma's lap, and he came over, and he was, trying, he was kissing me. And I said, do, do you want to kiss Jasmine? And he, he walked away from her just a little bit, and he was looking at her. He didn't know really who she was, and I said, well, why don't you kiss her? And so he walked over, and he pursed his lips, and he kissed her, and right after he kissed her, he went, (laughs) I looked at Annette. and I said, you know, in 15 years, he's not going to do that. I know that for (laughs) sure. So we've had to work that out of him. We'll work on it. Again, it's, it's just so good to see everybody. It really is. Today we're going to take a subject I think is close to all of our hearts. I know it is to me. And it's how God rescues people and how does he do that. And if you want to, you can start wandering and making your way to the book of Acts because we're going to get there in just a moment. But it's the book of Acts chapter 12. We're going to continue our study, Touchable Jesus, Touchable Church. and. And before we go there, I want to I tell you something, really a testimony of ours, of Annette and I, and that over the last year, we, we, we've really been able to see the rescuing power of God at work. In fact, while I was studying this passage of Scripture, I realized that it was about a year ago that we received what was dismal report, uh, what, what was a report, that, a report from the doctor you just don't, don't want to hear, and that is Annette has a chance of cancer. And so what we did for that week or two weeks is we prayed, as all of us do. We just prayed and lost a lot of sleep. And and what ended up happening is the doctors went in to investigate, and what they found was the place they were looking was not cancerous, but there was another place that had pre-cancer, and they took care of it. And the doctor said this. He said, we would have never found that unless we were looking for this, but we found it here. You need to know that God rescued you. On the way home, the Lord just said to me, and through Annette even, and we were talking, and she said, you know, there are times that God heals, there are times that God does what He does. This is a time that He has certainly rescued us. And I want all of you to know today that God rescues you in one way or another. And I want to say this, there may be a time when God rescues you and you recognize it right away. There may be a time that God rescues you and you don't see it for maybe a year or two or three and you look back and you get perspective and you say, wow, God rescued me here. But there also may be times in your life where God rescues you and you don't recognize his rescuing power until you get into heaven. What we do know about God is he rescues his people. He takes care of his people. And the story we're going to read today is a story that has some paradoxes to it. And I want to explain a few of those paradoxes to you because what we have on one hand at the very beginning of chapter 12 is we have a wonderful church apostle, a a disciple who is murdered, martyred at the hand of King Herod. We go down a little further and we find that there's another apostle, another disciple who is set free. He's rescued. Sometimes those things are just difficult to explain. Sometimes those things are hard for us to figure out. But nonetheless, it's the story that's at hand today. And I think when we read this, we're going to recognize a few things. Let me read it to you, beginning in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. And then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and he delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. I'm sure when this event was taking place that all of the disciples, especially Peter, was probably thinking this really sounds and feels familiar because they had gone through it before with their Lord and Savior, Almost the same kind of activity, almost the same time of year. And what you need to know right here in this place, a little history. King Herod was really one of those kings that operated in some ways like a a puppet to the religious Jews. And and he wanted to be a Jew. He wanted to have that kind of heritage. And he did things that were pretty contradictory. He did things because when you read history and especially the stories of Josephus, the guy was a, a little bit crazy. And you see these erratic behaviors, and this seems to be kind of one of those behaviors. Nonetheless, we see James, one of the sons of thunder, killed by the sword. And we go on to read it a little further. In verse 5, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, The night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. And then the angel said to him, Gird up yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. And so he went out and he followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. Basically, he thought he was dreaming. You see, Peter is one of those guys, he's an amazing guy. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison and he's really in a bind. And the interesting thing about Peter's life, and for those that know a little bit about Peter, Peter is one of those guys who's always in a jam. He's always in a bind. Just read the gospels and you find that Peter is sticking his foot in his mouth he's saying something he ought not to say he's doing things that seem odd and different and this is Peter this is Peter impulsive Peter but God had a plan for his life just like God has a plan for your life you know what Peter tells me the life of Peter tells me it tells me that God can use me and he can use you he can use anyone because he certainly used Peter This guy's in trouble. He's facing some challenges. And it's always interesting to me how God rescued him and how God helped him no matter what kind of mess he found himself in. And what we need to know here in this story is there's always a method behind God's rescues and his deliverances. And I, I want that to be very clear to you today. Because some of us are going through seasons and times in life that are troubling, and we're wondering, what sense is this making? I mean, why are these things happening? And we seem to be a bit dazed and confused over those kinds of events. Now, even though we may feel that way, you need to know that God has a plan. He has a method. He has an idea in mind, and he's executing that plan, and it's to his precision and to his timing and to his his delight. Again, I I said, I can't explain some of these things, why one is put to the sword and the other ultimately is set free. We can ask those same questions today. Why do these things happen? What we need to rest on, where we land here, is God has a plan. God has a method behind what he does. And so how does God help us when we're in trouble? How does he do the work that he does? Again, I love the story of Peter. I love the life of Peter, but especially Acts chapter 12. He's in prison. We observe one of the great miracles in all the scripture. So how does God deliver people? How does God rescue people? And I want to mention a a few of the ways that he does that. And you can write these things in your bulletin if you'd like. Number one is this. The first thing he does and the way that he rescues people is by helping us recognize who our enemy is. I mean, helping us recognize who is our enemy. We need to know that. I don't talk about that a lot. And, I, and I, 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 this is what I try to do. I try to teach the word in proportion to the way the Bible teaches us. So there are certain subjects the Bible talks a lot about. I hope I talk a lot about those subjects. There are other subjects the Bible doesn't say a lot about, but they're important for us to recognize and know. We need to recognize and know that we have an enemy. Because I think what's happened And what's taken place probably in the last several years is we've watered down a bit of Satan's reality in in this world. The Bible says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities. We're in the middle of a struggle, and it's a spiritual struggle. It's a spiritual battle, and what is at stake? It's the lives of people interesting to me because that's the thing that satan goes after because why because that's the thing that god loves the most he loves you and he loves me and we're in this battle so we have to understand there's a reality here i want you to look at verse one it says in verse one that herod the king herod was used here by satan to hurt god's people now listen, you can't. you, you, you got to be careful here. You have to make sure that you don't translate this as being, okay, this is Satan in the flesh. Listen, some of the people that you work with, you think they're Satan in the flesh. Some of the people that are in your family, in your life, you think that's Satan in the flesh. No, they're not Satan in the flesh. I'm going to tell you what happens. There are people that are vulnerable to be used in that way, to, to cause people harm, and that's certainly what takes place here with King Herod. He's being used by Satan to bring harm to the body of Christ, to the church. Again, James put to death, Peter put in prison. I want to tell you a couple things about our enemy. Our enemy has an amazing way to use circumstances and people to bring trouble to our lives. Now, here's how the enemy, I think, works in my life. And and maybe he works in your life the same way. You know where the battle typically takes place? Right here. It's usually the way you think. It's your process, your thinking process. And that's where the enemy usually intervenes and wants to stir up trouble. And it's how you think about God. It's how you think about yourself. And the enemy always tries to bend that. He'll use a little truth. He always does. He throws in a little truth. He'll salt and pepper it with a little truth. So in some ways, it may make sense to you. But I'm going to tell you what, it's perverted. And that's the reason we need to know the word of God because the word of God sets all that straight. The biggest battle I had in my mind was the first five years that I pastored a church. You know, this is the first and only church I've ever pastored. People ask me, did you pastor a small church? Yeah. Did you pastor a mid-sized church? Yeah. Did you pastor a larger church? Yes. I've done all of them, and I've been so thankful it's all the same church. This is the only place I've ever landed, it's the only place I want to be. And what's amazing about that is, is when you get there and you come in as a, as a young guy, and, and you, you, you start to preach, and, and I tell, you know what? And I told someone of this the other day, I've only serious and Annette knows this I've only, I've only listened to my messages maybe three times in 22 years, and each time I got physically sick. And I thought, I I really don't want to do this. And I I probably should to learn a few things, but but I really don't. And that was really a problem for me the first five years. The, The first five years that I was here, I would go home, and Monday morning was the devil's heyday. I mean, he just got my head. And I thought to myself, did I really say that? That's awful. That's stupid. Why did I say that? I better go back next week and correct everything because I really messed up. And there was all this stuff coming in. I mean, to make me feel like I was a loser. Do you you know what I I mean there and what you can feel? Is the enemy wants to come in and make you just feel like you're an absolute loser. I love this. We're, We're never as good as people say we are. We're never as bad as people say we are. We're somewhere probably in between. And that's a good place to keep yourself. Listen, and if the enemy can't get a hold of you and just wreak havoc with your head, telling you that you're a loser, you know what his other strategy is? He'll come and tell you how amazing you are how good-looking you are, how wonderful you are, how great you are. Either way, he's pretty much got you. That's the way the enemy works. That's the way he's worked in my life. And I'm telling you this because you're not a loser. God never says that about us. God says that we're people that he's invested in. I think there are three things about the enemy that we should know. Number one is know how he works. And the only thing I want to say about that is know what the word says. But the thing I want to say about that is it's typically typically by surprise. Uh, each time the enemy intervenes in people's lives, I, I, I really rarely hear people say, wow, I saw that coming from a long way away. I usually hear the opposite. Boy, I didn't see that coming. There it is. It's usually an ambush. It's a surprise attack. It's something that's contrary to the word. It's something that pops out of nowhere. And immediately you can say, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with the word of God. That doesn't line up with what God has said about me and my relationship with him. And this isn't true. That's the way the enemy works. Another way the enemy works is is this and what we need to know about him is know that he's a liar. I already talked about that a a little bit ago. That he is an absolute liar. He interprets things and then we believe them. And usually, usually, we always believe the worst. Just know the enemy's a liar. And number three, know how to resist him. And one of the things you need to know is take him seriously. Take the enemy seriously. We don't ponder that. We don't obsess over that. I, I, don't, I don't really do that, but I want to be aware. I want to know certain things. I want to take him seriously. He knows your weaknesses. He does. He knows your weaknesses. I've said this before, I've grow, I grew up with two brothers, I'm the oldest, and, and, uh, and for those that have an older brother, I'm sorry uh, that I may represent something to you that's painful, I don't know. But, uh, but, I, but I know that my brothers and I, we were, we were close in age, and it was always competitive, and there was always things going on, and, and everything we did was competition, everything. and In and, and some, some ways it still is that way, but it's a little quieter, a little more, more civil, but, but you can see it. It's there. You're not fooling anybody. I went out and played golf with my brother about two years ago. And, and, and I, I did. I, I It was a good drive from, from the tee. a really good drive. And I was walking down with him and I'm looking at him. I said, Where's yours? He says, right there. And I said, man, I can't even see mine. I don't even know where mine is. It's so far down there. And he just put, he puts his head down, and keeps walking. And someone from the other fairway comes by and they say, man, somebody really hit a ball a long way down there. And my brother just pipes up. It didn't even hesitate. He looked at the guy and he goes, yeah, he hit a sprinkler head. And I said, wow, well, You don't give me any credit, no credit. I mean, that's, that, that's the way it works. We know each other like that. My little brother always used to want to challenge me. And one of the places he wanted to challenge me was ping pong. He thought he could get me there. He could, he could get me there. I knew his weakness. I knew his weakness. I'd let him go on like he was winning, 10 to nothing, you know. And he'd be going, <laughs> We'd get there and I'd start coming back. And he'd get, he'd get disturbed because I knew his weakness. There was one place that you could hit that ball on the table. He couldn't return to save his life. And I kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then I beat him 14 to 10. And he looked at me and he goes, how do you do that? I said, I know your weakness. He says, tell me. I said, not a chance. <laughs> These are secrets that are in the vault. I think that's the way the enemy works in our lives. He, he knows exactly where to hit the ball. He, he knows the places that he can get us. He, he understands our weakness. And that's why we need to stand in the strength of Jesus. That's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That's why we're talking about the book of Acts. You see, we see that here. And then you move on a little bit. And I want to give you a second thing here. Secondly, when it comes to God's delivering hand, his rescuing hand, he helps us to realize the value of people. And I I can't, I really can't overstate this. I, I need to say this. Jesus came for one reason, and that was to seek and save those things that are lost. And I'm going to tell you, if there's any other theology that turns that and makes it and puts it out of order, it's not a healthy theology. The primary purpose of Jesus was to come and seek and save the lost and to redeem us from our sins. That's the value he puts on our lives. He he looked at you, he looked at me, and he said, now, this is worth it. This is valuable. I want to do this for, for God's people, the people that God loves. God loves people. And you see in verse 2, it says that James was killed. And I think there are probably some reasons why. I think there's some natural reasons you can look at and say, what was going on here? He was killed because he, he, was, a, he was a threat to, to, to the kingdom of the enemy. He was a threat to the kingdom of darkness. He was, a, he was a threat to even the establishment of the political world at the time. What did he do? He, he was a soul winner. Listen, we got to know this guy was probably pretty bold. You don't get the label sons of thunder because you were timid. He was a bold guy, and he probably let his voice be known. And so he's speaking, and people are coming to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and the enemy uses another instrument, and that is the the, the religious group of the Jewish Jewish community, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and they have Herod's ear, and they speak into it, and guess what happens? Herod executes a plan here and ultimately executes James. But I want to say this. I've heard this said before. And, I, and I've heard people teach on this, and I want to clear this up just a little bit. There is teaching out there that says, well, James was killed because the church didn't pray enough. And I'm going to tell you right now, I absolutely will refute that idea, and I want to tell you why. First of all, Jesus said, you will die like me. He, he told those disciples, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to lay down your life. If you're going to follow me, you're going to die. And I want to tell you something else. When you start to measure the works that we do or don't do, it becomes very religious. But I'm going to give you a third reason. If that theory is true, then no one, absolutely no one, would ever die in Sri Lanka or China. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. They pray more than you all. They pray more than me. They pray more than any of the prayer spots in this nation. They pray and people are martyred for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are prayer people. Can I say something? What you see in the word has to translate into every society, in every place, in every people. And you have to say this works here, here, and here. And if it doesn't, it really isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, I I don't have a lot of explanations as to what went on here except that this guy stood out and Jesus said, this is going to happen to you. And count it a privilege. Blessed are those who die on my behalf. Blessed are those that die for my name's sake. This, to this church, was a value system. It was a high-priority They died for Jesus Christ, and they never backed down. This guy never backed down. James was in the face of that contemporary thought. He was in the face of that religion. He was in the face of that government, and he said, Jesus is the only way. In verse 3, Herod put Peter in prison. Why? Because Peter was a leader. That was already prophesied. You know, the enemy knows the prophecies. Remember what Jesus said? Hey, Peter, you're going to lead. You're going to be a leader. We're going to, you're going to be a leader. I'm going to, I'm going to build a church and you're going to be part of that. You're going to lead that church. I think one of the reasons we face trouble is because God has marked you for good things. God has set you aside for good things. God has said to you, you have a purpose, you have a plan, and he set you aside for those things, and, and the enemy wants to disturb that. He wants to interrupt that. I think the reason that people are thrown in prison is because they're valuable. The reason that we are challenged is because we are valuable to Jesus. Listen, Peter was the man of chapter 12. He really, he really was. And I think there are a few reasons why Peter was challenged here. I think there are a few reasons that stand out that we know about Peter's life. First of all, I think Peter was challenged because of his dedication to Christ. (laughs) You know, after he had that conversation in John 21, that man just, uh, he he, he was different. After he witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and had that conversation on that little place in the Sea of Galilee where Jesus cooked him a, a homemade breakfast, He was different. Something changed. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and he was the one who stepped up and said, hey, church, this is what's going on. These tongues of fire, this is what's happening. This is the reason it's happening. He became a leader. He was dedicated to the cause of Christ. He turned from a a flip-floppy, mamsy-pamsy kind of wish-washy guy into a guy who was a rock, and Jesus said that would be true. And Jesus says the same thing about you. He wants to take your weaknesses and make them strong. That's the lesson you learn in Peter's life and what Jesus did here in his life. Peter was dedicated to Christ. Listen, secondly, Peter had convictions that changed the world. Whenever you have convictions and and you know that they begin to grow, those convictions can change the world. You know, developing convictions is an amazing thing. And I'm going to tell you, it's pretty simple. It's amazing, but... But I think there are three elements. You need to be consistent in the word. You need to be consistent in prayer. And you need to be consistent in receiving counsel or guidance. I I think those three things are what really make up conviction in our own lives. And then I think this. Peter had a sense of destiny. And and that's what God wants to give all of us. If you don't have that sense of destiny, uh, God wants to give that to you. Peter's future was in the hand of God. Uh, That's why I think he was sleeping in this jail this isn't a comfortable place this is an awful place he fell asleep I think he was at rest and that's really what leads us to the next and final uh, the final thought here and that is God helps us when we need to be rescued by teaching us to rest in his awesome power that's what I see here how did Peter rest when death was so close He, he knew God Peter could rest because God has never broken his promise, that God has always been faithful. <laughs> it's amazing here that the, the angel shows up, and it still doesn't wake Peter up. It says a light came in, and, and he was, this guy was snoring. He was sawing some serious logs. <laughs> I'm thinking, the angel, can you imagine from his perspective, he goes in there, and he says, wow, this really isn't getting this guy's attention. I need to slap him. And the Bible says he gets slapped on the side and, and he says, arise! And you see the exclamation mark? That's really in the, in the original text means that there was, a, there was a big scream that went out there. This guy was out. He was resting in the awesome power of God. He had, he had no worries. I, 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 I wished I could say the same thing about my life when I'm in a jam like that. This man had no worries because he knew that God is always looking ahead. He knew that God had everything planned out. You see, Peter could rest because he knew the power of prayer. He, he knew that about his own life. He, he knew that about what was going on in the outside. And, and you know, when I think about prayer, I, I always think, and we try to do this, and I've heard people try to do this. We try to reinvent the wheel, but we have a great model for prayer. Do you know that? Almost everything you need, you can, you can find through the mouth of Jesus the model of prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6. And it, it, it's what we call the Lord's Prayer. And, and I, thought it, I thought it important to read that to you. And, and I want to put it on the screen. It's in the New King James Version. It says this, and in this manner, therefore pray. It's Jesus speaking. He said, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen, and amen. You know, there are four elements to that prayer. And I, I discovered this last week. I was looking at this thinking there are four elements here and i want to tell you what they are one is adoration it begins with adoring god and i think that's a good way to always start prayer adoring him telling him how great he is and number two there's confession here there's there's a there's an element of confession and thirdly there's the element of thanksgiving and fourthly there's the element of supplication here and that is just Supplicate. supplication means just pleading to the Lord and, and, and saying Lord you know I, I, I want to see something happen that you know is going to happen that is your will then I looked at it and I wanted you to notice when I was looking at this those four elements create an acronym and the acronym is ACTS where we're studying right now and what we need to recognize is God does want to do he wants to work through you I said earlier that when we pray, we need to pray earnestly. When we pray, we need to pray and be focused. And that's what God's leading us to do, is to pray. And you need to pray. And because we say, well, you know, here's what's happening, here's what's going on, and I want to pray. Listen, the prayer that we pray is intended to draw us closer to the Lord and to let us understand the mind of Christ. We all can use that. We all need that. But you need to ask. And I'm so amazed. I'm so amazed at my own life and, 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 and people that I listen to and talk with that the last thing that we end up doing is asking God. And here this prayer indicates to us we need to ask. And, and I, want, I want you to ask. I just want you to take time. If you, need, if you need to be rescued, if you need to be delivered, would you just ask God? Uh, Last week, I was out of town, and I came home late on Friday evening, Um, and I couldn't wait to see the grandkids. I wanted to see them, and I got home, (laughs) and Annette knew that, and she goes, well, wait till uh, 10 o'clock, and Jack will be up, and you can go over, so boom, clock struck 10, and I called Sarah. She said, yeah, come on over, and when I walked in the door, I knew something was going to happen because I was thinking about it on the way over, and I went, oh, no, Ella's going to ask me a question right when I walk in the door. And I'm not prepared. And I walked in the door. And right when I opened the door, Ella said, Papa, what do you have for me? Because every time I go somewhere, I usually bring something back. And, and I was, it, it, was so, it was God because today's our, our birthday celebration. I said, oh, we're bringing it tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Off the hook. But I thought, how easy is that? And, and how easy was it for me? I wasn't offended. I was happy. I was excited that someone was asking me for something. And and I think that's the way it is with our Father in heaven. He just wants to hear you ask. And the question is for all of us, are we asking? Are we asking? Would you bow your head? Just a moment, what we're going to do, and I'm going to invite our worship team up, and we're going to finish with this song here this morning. But there's something else I'd like to do. In just a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to stand and when you stand you're going to see the prayer team and so the prayer teams and the care teams can make their way up front uh, as well right now if you want to come forward that's, uh, that'll help us but when we're done praying these wonderful folks are going to be here and our worship team is going to lead us in worship and here, here's, the, here's the decision you need to make am I going to ask? maybe today you're dealing with an issue a problem there's something going on and God really does want to rescue you. And I think what you need to do is you need to just ask the Lord, uh, what do you want from the Lord? And the Lord would, would want to respond to that. You can say, Father, what do you have for me? Father, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? And I know that the Lord will respond. And so I'm going to pray. And as we stand after I pray, you just make your way forward and receive prayer here today and say, hey, I need God's rescuing hand. I, I'm asking and and you're, you're saying this what do you have for me Lord what do you have for me and the Lord will respond to you Father we want to thank you today we want to thank you for your good work for your presence in our lives that you do take care of us Lord we don't know all the reasons why you do what you do if we did we wouldn't need a God we're just we're just human We're part of your creation. Thank you for that privilege. And what we do know is that you desire a relationship with us. Lord, what we want more than anything else is to come close to you. I ask for everyone here, Lord, that is in a jam, that that is in a place that's very difficult, that's uh, troublesome, I just pray that you would show your delivering, your rescuing hand. I I know you're a rescuing God. And that's what we count on. That's what we believe in here today more than anything else. So Lord, in just a moment, we're going to stand and respond to the word that you brought to us. We need you today. We need you today. What do you have for us? In Jesus' name we pray. And we say amen and amen.